Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Neuro Experience Podcast. My name is Louisa Nicola. I am your host and I'm flying solo on today's episode. So if you are joining me on your ride to work, I hope you had a restful night's sleep. If you're in New York City or anywhere in America, I hope you're staying safe and of course, healthy. I heard it's a bit cold over there right now. I'm recording this from down under. That's right. I came home to Australia for Christmas and I'm literally loading up on all of the free form vitamin D available. Uh, that's a bit of a hint in today's episode uh, because lately, I would say in the last eight weeks, I've been looking and researching deeply into vitamin D and my God, it's been absolutely incredible. I recently stumbled across this fantastic research that's shown the relationship between vitamin D deficiency and sleep. So I can't wait to get into that. So specifically, what we're going to be talking about today, three things. We're going to be talking about what vitamin D is. I'm literally going to give you a crash course because I think we're a bit confused. I'm seeing a a lot of confusing things being written across social media when it comes to vitamin D. So we're going to clear the air. We're then going to talk about vitamin D's link to sleep. We're then going to move on to vitamin D values and daily doses. We're specifically going to be zoning in on how to get your vitamin D, how to look for your vitamin D levels and what you should be aiming for. So stay tuned and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the NeuroExperience podcast, where you will learn the science of human performance and optimization. Okay, team, let's get into it. Vitamin D at a glance. Vitamin D is one of the four fat-soluble vitamins, along with vitamin A, vitamin K, and vitamin E. And a vitamin is a nutrient that we require in very small amounts. We cannot produce them ourselves, but we need it for the normal growth and development of body tissue and normal functioning of our human bodies. Now, vitamin D being a fat-soluble vitamin, what that means is it this vitamin can be stored within our body because the cells of our body is surrounded by fatty layers. And that allows for the movement of this vitamin into those cells. And it does it quite easily. And that's where it stores it. Water-soluble vitamins, on the other hand, are often excreted from the body quite quickly. And that's one of the biggest differences between fat-soluble and water-soluble vitamins. So when we look at vitamin D, the first thing you need to be aware of is that the main way that we get vitamin D is through UV exposure. That is our exposure to sunlight. So this is going to be the first step in the synthesis of the precursor of vitamin D to an active vitamin D form. Now, I want to just, you know, continue down this path and talk to you more about the misconceptions of vitamin D, because what's super interesting about vitamin D is that when you look at the structure of it, it is very similar to the structure of cortisol. It's very similar to the structure of testosterone of estrogen, of progesterone. And what are these guys? That's right. They're all hormones. And that's what vitamin D is. Vitamin D is actually a steroid hormone. I think that's where we're going wrong. We're saying vitamin D. And although, yes, that is true to an extent, 
It is actually a hormone. And what do we know about all of these other steroid hormones? What we know is that they go directly into the nucleus of the cell where they affect transcription of protein factors. And look, depending on the cell type, it's going to have a a different effect. So already right off the bat, you can see that vitamin D is doing something very different than what we would think of as just a vitamin, where you need a cofactor to have an enzyme, you know, to A and B. It's more nuanced than that. That's why it's a very special vitamin. That's why I'm so excited about it. Now, very early on when they were doing studies on vitamin D, they the studies were more involved in calcium bone metabolism. And so back then they came up with all of these theories and all of these things because they didn't really know what else vitamin D really did. Now, we look back at all of the uh, all of the history of vitamin D and we think it's nonsense, of course, because we know that vitamin D does a lot more than bone metabolism. We know that it's got more than just calcium. We now know that vitamin D is not just a hormone. It literally falls into the uh, it's not just a vitamin. It literally falls into the hormonal bucket. So Let's look at Addison's disease, for example. Addison's disease is where you have antibodies that attack the adrenal gland. Okay, The adrenal gland is this little gland that sits on the top of your kidneys. And the purpose of that adrenal gland is to make cortisol. It also makes aldosterone, androgens, and these things are very essential. In fact, if people lose their adrenal glands, they will die because they won't be making enough cortisol. And cortisol is essential for just the regular running of the body. Okay. And now here we have this thing called vitamin D. Now the problem is we don't have a gland that makes vitamin D. No, but what we do have is the skin. So the skin makes the vitamin D through UVB radiation. So the body produces vitamin D in the skin after exposure to ultraviolet light. And then after that, this is where it gets very interesting. It's then subsequently transported in the blood to the liver where it is hydroxylated to 25-hydroxyvitamin D. Isn't that interesting? So 25-hydroxyvitamin D is then further converted to the metabolically active form, which is 1A-25-hydroxyvitamin D, and this is done primarily in the kidneys. So once this is, guys, this is really important that you understand this, once it gets converted into a steroid hormone, it then goes on to affect the expression of almost 1,000 different genes in the body. 1,000 different genes in the body. That is about 4.6% of the human protein encoding genome. Wow, that should scare you. That, like, for, to understand that a vitamin which is also a hormone, goes into effect 4.6% of our human genome, I am scared. I am scared because I, I was born and raised in Australia. I moved to New York City. I'm not getting hardly any sunlight. So we need to keep going further with this. So vitamin D, like other hormones, 
what what do they do? What do other steroid hormones hormones do? I mentioned this earlier. They enter a cell's nucleus and regulate numerous genes. Now, vitamin D serves as a major regulator of immune function, and it plays a particularly important role in preventing respiratory tract infections. This is why you've probably been hearing a lot about vitamin D since the birth of COVID-19, but we're not going to go into that in this episode. So after my rant, it's safe to say that this is extremely important. Now let's look at some stats. Approximately 40% of people living in the United States are vitamin D deficient. The increased risks for vitamin D deficiency are likely due to both modifiable and non-modifiable factors. Now that's a problem. Okay, that's a huge problem because low vitamin D levels, including vitamin D deficiency, can affect everything from your mood to your sleep quality. So unless you have access to adequate sun exposure, taking a vitamin D supplement is a sure way and an easy way to get enough vitamin D. I like to call this the sunshine vitamin. And you should be taking it every single day. Let's now move on and look at the link between vitamin D and sleep. You know, it's so interesting that when we hear of vitamin D, we immediately think of COVID-19. And I've actually never heard of a vitamin D deficiency being associated with poor sleep quality until now. And I had to tell you guys. So I've been doing a lot of digging and I found so much research linking the association between sleep apnea and vitamin deficiencies, not just D, but also vitamin D, vitamin B. In fact, vitamin D receptors have been found in the brain regions involved in sleep regulation and vitamin D appears to be involved in regulating the sleep-wake cycle. So when I started to read about this, you know, there was a huge, huge cohort study that was done on sleep apnea patients. And what they found was that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these people who had sleep apnea, which is literally choking your sleep, also had vitamin D deficiencies. So that's where this all started. Now, several studies have shown an association between vitamin D levels and different measures of sleep. For example, low blood levels of vitamin D has been associated with decreased sleep time and also decreased sleep efficiency. It's also been associated with increased daytime sleepiness. Now, let's get a better understanding of what these terms actually mean. So one study found a positive association between low levels of vitamin D and short sleep duration in a cross-sectional study, which was conducted in 2003, around December, and and it finished in March 2005. And the cohort study was mainly done on men aged 65 years. So Just so you understand some of the terms, sleep time is simply the amount of time that you sleep. Sleep efficiency is a measure of sleep based on the time it takes you to fall asleep and how many times you wake throughout the night. Daytime sleepiness is, of course, it's a subjective measure of how sleepy or tired a person feels throughout the day. So, okay, we now know that having low levels, blood levels of vitamin D is going to 
not help us get into deep restorative sleep. We're not going to be getting into those deep sleep stages. But why? I did a little little more digging because I was so interested in finding out why. And here it is. And I don't want to go too deep into the weeds of neuroscience, but here's a quick summary of the science behind vitamin D and the link to sleep. So the exact mechanisms by which vitamin D affects sleep regulation is still unclear, although it's been suggested that the areas of the brainstem, which are the areas that are involved in sleep regulation could be the missing link. So guys, when we go into sleep, I've I've clearly outlined in several uh, past episodes that we go through different stages of sleep. Okay, we we as we're falling asleep, we go through three stages. These stages are comprised of non rapid eye movement sleep, non-REM sleep. And it's during these stages in the first part of the night that we go into deep sleep, so slow wave sleep. So let's just think we've got slow wave sleep and then we go into REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. So uh, the way that we get into these sleep stages is regulated by certain areas of the brain, specifically certain regions of the brainstem. So the hypothalamus and brainstem are very well known to play a critical role as a regulator of sleep. There's certain subregions of the brainstem, such as the sublateral dorsal tegmental nucleus. That's a very tricky word. Don't bother learning it. But this is the area of the brainstem that specifically regulates both REM and non-rapid eye movement sleep. So you can think of these brain regions as the pacemaker cells that play an important role in maintaining sleep and also in the first few stages of sleep. Now, in 1980, there was a, a wonderful doctor who went and looked at this, and his name was Dr. Walter Stumpf. And he published experimental results documenting the presence of vitamin D receptors in the brainstem. Wow. So that's really interesting. So given that sunlight drives both vitamin D synthesis and circadian rhythms, he then said that it is possible that vitamin D is involved in the transduction of light signals that regulate these circadian rhythms. Furthermore, he found that there is evidence that vitamin D contributes to regulating the production of melatonin, which is the uh, hormone, the sleepiness hormone secreted from the pineal gland, which controls the human circadian rhythms and sleep. So that is the link. That is the link between vitamin D and sleep. The brainstem regions involved in non-rapid eye movement sleep and, uh, and rapid eye movement sleep are affected because the same brain regions have a host of vitamin D receptors. So therefore, in order to really switch on, I would say these brain regions in the brainstem, they act as a switch, okay? They switch on your ability to get into deep sleep and they switch on your ability to get into REM sleep. But they do this with the help of these vitamin D receptors. And therefore, if these vitamin D receptors are deficient, like they've got no energy because their energy is vitamin D, then they don't have the energy to switch on 
the, the, the deep sleep stages that we need. Wow. That's so incredible. So you may be thinking, holy crap, Louisa, then what do I do? I live in, I live in New York or I live, uh, I live in London. I don't get any sunlight. That's okay. Because we're going to now go into the right vitamin D doses. So let's talk about vitamin D and the dosages. So we're looking at 25 hydroxy vitamin D because that's the storage form of vitamin D. And when we look at the studies, the ones that I mentioned earlier, and also the more recent studies that have been done on vitamin D deficiency and SARS-CoV-2, the results show that as your levels of vitamin D start to drop below 50 nanograms per milliliter, we started we start to see an increase in SARS-CoV-2 positive cases. So uh, a lot of these levels that they've come up with are pretty much based on the end- endocrinological function of vitamin D with bone metabolism. So a lot of the studies that have been done seem to show COVID rates start to go up once levels dropped below 50. Now, 50 is an interesting number because back in 2013, there was a meta-analysis done, a meta-analysis published, and I don't know the author's name, but the studies dated back from the 1960s to around 2013. And it was looking at all-cause mortality in association with vitamin D levels. And it was found that levels between 40 to 60 was the lowest all-cause mortality. And then when you look at the studies done on sleep and sleep apnea, the levels show that anything below 40 nanograms per milliliter is subjected to poor, poor sleep. So we're looking at the um, we're looking at around uh, levels below forty nanograms per milliliter. So in terms of supplementation, the Institute of Medicine has defined the upper limits of supplementation as four thousand IU's per day. So what I can suggest for anybody listening to this is go and get your vitamin D levels checked. And when you go and get those checked, if you if your results come back with a low reading, a low reading, anything below 40 nanograms per milliliter, per milliliter then you want to look at supplementing with around 5,000 IUs per day. And that's in the summertime. In the winter, we have some of our athletes taking around 7,000 IUs a day. It really depends on your lab values and it of course depends on your genetic profile, environmental factors, and what you're doing during the day. So Guys, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this uh, mini crash course on vitamin D. If you did, please go through and leave us a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. It literally takes one minute. Just go through on our website or even on Apple iTunes. Go into Apple iTunes and just write us a one sentence review. Let us know how you like the podcast and I'll see you and you'll hear from me next week.